and uh, church. So good to see you this morning. Uh, guests, my name is C.B. Etter. I'm the senior pastor of Christ Community Church. Welcome to all of you. Excited to get back into Matthew, our series on the Gospel of Matthew. We're going into Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. And so if you could open up your Bibles and uh, read God's Word together with me, that would be great. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. For everybody who's a true Christian in the room, uh, begin to just prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate at the end of the service, and remember Christ and His broken body and shed blood uh, for our sins. And I'm really looking forward to uh, remembering Christ together with you at the end of the service. The title of the message this morning is Church Rescue. Let's read Matthew chapter 18. Verses 15 through 20. Let's read God's word together. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And I also want to just read, it was just amazing and providential that Ben read Luke 15, 1 through 7, because I I think he was scheduled for the pastor welcome to read uh, John 15, if I'm not mistaken, John. And Ben read Luke 15, and I I just love the section he read, because It so captures the heart of God in in this passage we're reading in Matthew 18. So I just want to read that together with you as well. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, speaking of Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray together. Lord, as we look at these precious words from Jesus, we pray that you would touch our hearts together as your people. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who's never believed in Christ, never trusted in him as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they would be granted grace 
to repent of their sins and turn away from their old life and that they would also be given the gift of faith that they might put their trust in Jesus Christ alone and rely upon Jesus Christ alone for their forgiveness and for their salvation and for their righteousness. The only way we can stand before you, holy God, on the final day of judgment and be saved is by trusting in your son and his blood and his righteousness. There's nothing that we could do ever, like we sung about this morning, that could ever make us right with God through our own merit or our own works. It's only through trusting in Christ's blood and righteousness. And Lord, I pray that we would just be amazed as a church family at the gloriousness of your gospel in our lives, that Jesus, you would have died for us and rose again for us. And also, God, I pray that we as your people would be just amazed that, Lord, you never let go. You just continue to pursue us, even at times when our souls had wandered, even as believers and were wandering back. Jesus, how many times have we experienced you rescuing the wandering sheep? And I pray that you would just motivate us and inspire us as a church family to to reflect the heart of you to rescue the wanderer. I pray that we would be a church that glorifies you in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In in Matthew 18, if you look in in the context of this passage in in 10 through 14, and I'm going to read that in a moment, you'll see just the heart of God in relation to uh, just the context of setting up verses 15 through 20. It's important to note that Matthew 18, 15 through 20 is normally called the church discipline section. And the language that I've chosen to use is intentional here in terms of the title, calling it church rescue. Because often the the, the connotation of church discipline tends to carry with it sometimes um, a spirit with it that doesn't quite capture the, the heart of God and going after the wanderer with grace and love and mercy. And I, I prefer that term church rescue to the uh, phrase church discipline. Not that the phrase church discipline isn't, isn't right or biblical. God disciplines those he loves. And so we mustn't think of discipline as a bad word or a word we shouldn't embrace in our vocabulary as Christians. Because as a good loving father, our father... He is so kind to, to lovingly discipline his children to keep us following in his path. But, but church rescue is, is captured here. And you look in verse 10, and it will reflect over with the passage I just read in Luke 15. If you look in verse 10 of Matthew 18, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Remember uh, in the previous sections, little ones is referring to any true believer. That's one of God's little ones. For I tell you that in heaven... Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. And so Jesus tells that story about the man who goes after the wandering sheep, his wandering sheep, and, and sees it rescued and, and rescues it. And, and, and he, he points that image and says this, just so, verse 14, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
every true believer, the Father will see to it that not one of them will perish. You see this determination in the will of God to to not only rescue, but to preserve and keep and sustain his people. And you think about God and his amazing grace that he would have shed his own son's blood on our behalf to rescue us and deliver us from the wrath that we deserve forever in hell for our sins. But isn't it also amazing, brothers and sisters, the ways, how many times has God come after you again and again and again? I've just been marveling as I've been studying this passage and how many times my heart has wandered and strayed. And I've just been giving praise to God as I've looked and realized that the Father is determined. It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This should give you comfort, brothers and sisters. This should give you assurance of your salvation that though you and I have many ups and downs in the Christian life, the Father is determined to keep us. And I want you to really, really allow that to sink in and encourage your heart. In John 18, verse 9, we see that not only is it the Father's will, but but Jesus actually says this. It says in the Word of God about Jesus, John 18, verse 9, this is a great reference. Of those whom you gave me, speaking of God's sheep, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Oh, There's a Savior that's determined to to shed His blood on the cross to atone for the sins of His people. And there's a Savior of whom it is said as the Good Shepherd. Not only does He lay His life down for the sheep, John 10, but in John 18 it says, oh, by the way, me as a Good Shepherd, you know what it says about me? It's, It's written in the Word of God. This is what it says about me as the Good Shepherd. Of those whom you have given me, Father, we've been given... To Jesus, by the Father, I have lost not one. And we see also in John chapter 10 that no one is able to snatch us out of his hand. And so be encouraged that this passage here is really talking about just the heart of God reflected in the life of the church. Um, Church rescue, I just want to give a definition of this. This process here in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Church rescue is where the church is the eyes and hands and feet of Jesus to rescue the wandering sheep. Church rescue is when the church is the eyes and hands and feet of Jesus to rescue wandering sheep. Sheep. I love the, there's a painting by a man named James Seward. It's called The Lamb of God. And I was looking at this painting and was marveling because it's one of my favorite images of Jesus. And some of you will be able to really connect with me on this. The image of Jesus leaving the 99 sheep on the mountainside and going after the wanderer and he, he gets the sheep and just like Ben had read during the, the pastoral welcome, but then I read also in Luke 15, it, it says that speaking of this, this intimacy, this closeness of the good shepherd, it says when he's found it, Jesus says he lays it on his shoulders. The image of Jesus just having his little lamb 
gathered in his, in his hands and he's holding its hoofs and, and there's that sheep, that image of Jesus being held safe or the lamb being held safe by the good shepherd is powerful. And in James Seward's rendition of this in the, in the painting entitled the lamb of God, it shows a picture of the son of God, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd searching out and rescuing this wandering sheep in the midst of treacherous terrain. There's just, just death falls all around this wandering sheep and there's Jesus. He, he scoops up this wanderer and he, he, he puts this lamb over his shoulders and he carries the lamb back to the fold and Every time I see that, I, I just marvel because not only did he shed his blood to pay for all of my sins and satisfy the wrath of God that was once against my sins, Jesus died on the cross as my substitute and your substitute, brother and sister. And he bore the wrath of God in our place. He was a propitiation or a wrath absorbing, a wrath exhausting sacrifice Jesus was on the cross. He atoned for all of our guilt, all of our transgressions, all of our sins. And now we are literally saved from the wrath of God. But then not, that doesn't just do it in terms of his energy and his, his focus and his love. His sheep that he loves are, are still wandering sheep. I am moved whenever I sing the hymn, you know, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. I can look in my life and I can see in my heart that there's just tendencies and pitfalls and dangers with my battle with indwelling sin every single day that causes me to just say, Oh Lord, Lord, keep me by your grace. I know you can relate. And he does. He not only saves, he sustains. And one of the means of grace that he uses to sustain and protect his people is his church. I love this message here and the timing of it coming off of the messages on elders and deacons over the last number of weeks. This is really a message of all of us as a congregation, all of us as God's sheep together and this call for us as a people to be involved with the mission of Christ's church, to be involved with church rescue. Which means, church rescue is when the church is the hands and feet and eyes of Jesus to rescue wandering sheep. Church rescue is when the church is the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus to rescue wandering sheep. I'm, I'm really moved by this. Another way to say it would be that church rescue is, is it's really the, the heart of God reflected in the people of God. We are called to have the same heart of the Father to not lose one of His precious sheep and like the Good Shepherd, to have a heart as His people to say, of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Now, thank God that's true of Jesus. And that's true of the Father. But you see here, it's a very uh, powerful passage and it prescribes in detail what happens when someone begins to wander and how we should go about caring for them. And so I'd like you to look and 
Matthew chapter 18 and 15. We're just going to walk through this together. the, The three points that I had in mind for this sermon were searching, gaining, and rejoicing. Searching, gaining, and rejoicing. Number one, searching. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's look at the first half of that. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You've, hold, you've heard the old expression, if you, if you have a problem with your brother, take it to your brother. And it comes out from this passage of Scripture. If you have a problem or, or you have a struggle with one of your sisters in the Lord, uh, sisters, go to your sister. And you see this image here of this searching. It's, it's a real call to reflect the heart of the Lord toward that person. And and please note that it's talking there about if they sin against you. It It's not about if somebody's annoying you according to your own standards. This is somebody who's really, really living in violation of the word of God. They're not, they're not really um, obeying the Lord. And, and so out of a heart of mercy and compassion, we do what we can to, to go to that brother, to go to that sister and to tell them their fault just between the two of us. You see here that there's a protection and a safety it in telling one-on-one and going one-on-one. There's a, there's a heart there of searching, of, of, of really going and seeking the good of our brother, to seek the good of our sister. This is not about I'm annoyed at them and I'm just going to tell them like it is. It's, it's, it doesn't bear resemblance to that when it's operating in the spirit of Christ or you know, I'm just going to let this person have it. That that type of spirit is more of the world. This is a, a brother or a sister who's just got a heart of God for the people of God. To see our brothers and sisters kept safe. And to look after their soul. And you see here in answer to Cain's question in the Old Testament. When Cain kind of arrogantly asked God, hey, am I my brother's keeper? The, the answer to that is yes, I, I really am in the Lord. I've got a responsibility not just to look out for my own walk, but I've got a responsibility as a Christian, as a fellow brother to you, to to look out for you in the Lord. And not because I'm a pastor. I do that as a pastor as well. But but because I'm a Christian, I'm called to love Christ and love the people for whom he died and to love Christ and to do all I can to see my brothers and sisters kept safe, protected, protected. Guarded, and if they're struggling, if they're stumbling into sin, if they're if they're entering into a a pathway that is dangerous for their soul, I'm called to love them enough to go to them one on one. Again, you see how this just it protects and guards against gossip. You shouldn't if you're struggling with somebody in the church, you shouldn't go and tell ten other people in the church first before you go to that brother, or you go to that sister. It should never happen. It should happen privately. It should happen constructively. It should happen with a heart. And, and this is the second point. To gain your brother. To gain your sister. What that means, that word gain in the original, it, it means to win them over for the Lord. To, to bring them back if they're stumbling. To bring them back to Jesus. It's a, it's a heart of being for your brother. A heart of being for your sister. It's it's not a heart that just says, you know what, I'm just so sick of this person. I'm just going to go and lay them out. Or 
It's never that. In fact, if that's our heart, Jesus says in other passages, hey, listen, why don't you take the plank out of your own ICB before you go and try to help somebody with their spec? If my heart's not right, I've got to go and do business with God and get my heart into the place where if I'm going to go to my brother with something, I'm going to my brother with a heart to see them restored in the Lord. I'm going with a heart to see them prosper in Jesus. And it's because I love them I go. Because I don't want to see them stumble. I, I'm, I, I might be perceiving something that might be tempting them. I might see an area where they're beginning to wander and start to not live in alignment with the Word of God. And I'm called as a faithful brother or a faithful sister in the Lord to, to, to be a part of this church rescue. The majority of church rescue cases, and we're all involved with this, in the course of our lifetimes as Christians in the church, it happens and stops right in the midst of this first step. You have a brother or sister who sins against you. Notice it doesn't say, uh, hey, just say, to, say about them, I'm done with you and I'm never going to interact with you again. Or I'm going to hold you hostage in my heart with disdain and keep you at a distance in my heart. No, there's, there's none of that. There's a, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to gain my brother over and to see her, see him restored into fellowship with me. I don't want, we should never have it be, brothers and sisters, where there's anybody in our midst, in our church, where we're just like, you know what, I just, I just don't like that person, and I'm not going to engage with them at all. You're going to have some people who you're closer friends with than others, but there should never be anybody that you're sort of like, you know what, I've marked them, and I'm not going to interact with them anymore. If they've sinned against you, it's your responsibility and mine as a Christian to lovingly go to them and tell them individually, because you love them, to take the plank out of your own eye and to help your brother, to help your sister with their speck. And you think about that ministry, that is a very tender ministry. If you've ever had a child with a splinter in their eye, they get frantic and crazy. Can anybody relate to this? And as a mom, as a dad, a, a, a good minister of the gospel to somebody who's struggling with something in their eye, and we all have these things, we're called to minister to people in grace and tenderness and to help our brother, help our sister with removing that speck out of their eye by first taking the plank out of ours so that we can see clearly, but then with a love and a tenderness to help them, to be patient with them, to endure with them, to be long-suffering with them and not operate the way the world does in situations like this. And so the first step in relation to searching is to look and say, you know what, let me go to them one-on-one and reflect the heart of God to them. There's times where they will listen to you. And there's times where an individual will not listen to you. Now, what's important here is to, what, what is marked here by this, this aspect of not listening is that we don't just say, okay, I tried, I'm done with you. If somebody is stumbling into sin and we go to them and they don't respond, we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters, again, to keep the circle really tight not to see them exposed, not to be vindicated of our own opinion of them, but because we love them, we go into church rescue with a few others who also they love and they trust, and we come around them and do everything we can to help them be free from the ensnaring effects of 
the remaining sin in their lives and maybe they're starting to harden their heart. They're mad that you've come to them and shared something with them and they're starting to distance themselves. They're starting to wander away into the caves and the crevices and to pull away from the flock. A lot of times you'll see somebody who starts to wander away. They don't come to church anymore, but God's laid them on your heart. Reach out to them. Reach out to them and do all you can to see them restored. Um, this heart of church rescue to, to, to go and take one or two others you see is, is, is a continued searching. It's almost like uh, we band together to, to protect that person's reputation. Again, we guard from gossip. We guard from slander. We don't go and spread stories about people, even stories that are true. We want to do everything we we can to safeguard one another's reputations in the eyes of one another, to speak highly of one another, honor one another as appropriate with God's people, and to not speak ill of each other in a way that lowers that person in the estimation of the brother or sister we're talking about. We want to go and care. We want to search them out so that we can really reflect the heart of God to them, that heart of grace, that heart of mercy, and, and really rescue with a real tender hand. And a real loving heart. This second step here, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that searching out that every charge might be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses is really uh, prescribed in the book of Deuteronomy. It follows the pattern of the Jewish custom in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 19.15 to establish every charge by two or three witnesses and to make sure that we're not misjudging or sinfully judging our brother or sister and to get help. We don't see things clearly or perfectly and sometimes we need to go and get a few others that we know that have the good will of that individual in mind and go and rescue them. By this time, sometimes if they didn't listen one-on-one and there is a legitimate issue and we're seeing it clearly, they might begin to harden their heart on whatever particular struggle they're having. We want to, again, not get offended by that. We want to help our brother, help our sister in order to gain them. And they may even, as you're seeking to rescue them, they might bite you. (laughs) Sheep bite at times. And when there is a wound... When someone goes to lay their hand on you to touch you on the spot where you're wounded, all of us can react to that. We don't want to be, in a sense, touched where we're hurting, but there's great need for this. But with tender hands and with a loving heart to go and see our brother or our sister restored and gained. And so let us have this heart and make sure we do everything we can to love So there's this pattern, you see, they didn't listen one-on-one, they didn't listen with one or two others, and again, we're not called to ever just kind of say about a brother or sister in the Lord, I'm done with them. God never gives me the right to say, I'm done with you, to a brother or sister in Christ, brothers and sisters. We can never go there. We have to keep working hard to reconcile with our brother, reconcile with our sister, so that the harmony and the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is preserved in the life of the church as a testimony of God's grace. Because Jesus says they'll be able to tell that you're Christians by your love for one another, don't they? And so unbelievers should be able to come into our midst and see not a perfect group of people who never have issues to struggle and wrestle through together. And that's, that's impossible this side of heaven. There's going to be challenges in the church, struggles within the church, 
you know, at times, uh, things that just need to get worked out. You see that in Philippians 4 with Iodia and Syntyche, two women in the church who were fighting and bickering with one another. And Paul was saying to the church, listen, help these sisters in the Lord. This is part of the early church. and It's been part of the church time out of mind. It, it's something that this side of heaven is just the norm. And so I do want to just encourage all of us as a church that when you become aware of just there's tensions between this person and this person, there's stuff going on where somebody's not seeing eye to eye with somebody on this, or they're working through something, just recognize that's part of the normal course of church life, this side of heaven. Because we're going to just have things that we need to work through with our brothers, with our sisters in Christ. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough when that happens, but you don't want to be surprised about it in a way to where you're just like, oh my goodness, I, I, what is happening here? You know, we're this side of heaven and there's remaining indwelling sin that all of us are battling and, and it's one of those realities that we just have to be aware of and also to be patient and loving with one another toward. We see that once you take it to, um, and this again, it's happening over a process in a period of time. It's not this prescribed one, two, three, boom. It's just a period of time where there's just appeal and love and kindness and friendship and reaching out to our brother or sister in Christ. And it says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And so then you broaden the circle so that the body of Christ can go and reach out to this um, wayward sheep, this wandering sheep who's at this time, if they're not listening, most likely they're they're hardening their heart to whatever issues going on in unrepentant sin. They're beginning to really um, pull away. And we want to do everything we can as a church to go after them and to, to love them in Christ and to see them restored to the church family. Um, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This, this, this reflection here is that after repeated appeals over a long period of time, if someone is, you gotta understand, this is, here's, this is an important point. This is not about somebody who is just struggling with remaining sin. We all have that. What this is talking about is somebody who is living in unrepentant sin with a hard heart toward God and His people. It's usually reflected in the fact that they really wander away. And we as a church have a heart to rescue, to see them restored, to not give up on them. And even here when it talks about tell it to the church and if they refuse to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That phrase Gentile and tax collector speaks here of somebody who is deliberately rebellious against God. They are wandering away. And and even here, in in the act of treating them as a Gentile and a tax collector, within the church body, the way this manifests itself, is usually at this point here, the person who's living in unrepentant sin for a prolonged period of time and will not listen to God's people and the repeated appeals from the Word to respond what happens there is they're treated as a Gentile tax collector. Usually, usually they're removed from church membership at that time. But even in that act, the act of removing them from church membership and treating them as an unbeliever, one translation says, um, a Gentile, a tax collector, that very act is is meant 
to remove them out from the visible church so that they would feel that they're on the outside looking in and that they would be gained, that they would say, you know what? What am I doing? I got to come to my senses here. I'm, I'm away from the people of God, my brothers and sisters. And what have I done? Lord, please forgive me. And to the church to immediately receive them back with rejoicing and celebration, the lost coin, the, the lost sheep being restored. That's the heart of the church. It's never a mean heart. It's a very loving heart that's motivated to rescue and to see our brother or sister gained or won over. This is very important to capture as the spirit of our church that we want to rescue in order to see people restored and gained. And God is with us in this endeavor. You look at this passage of scripture as we're seeking to gain. We've searched and we're looking to gain You see that the Lord's with us. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a very real description and a very sobering one of when God's people collectively come to the place of really seeking to do all they can to help somebody who's living in unrepentant sin. What Jesus is saying here is that whatever you bind on earth is also bound in heaven. We would typically appeal to the person and say, listen, in light of you living in unrepentant sin, you are wandering away from the Lord and we want to see you turn back to Jesus. And we believe that even though we can't look into your heart and really describe whether or not you're truly saved, only you and God, only God knows that. We as your brothers and sisters want to see you soft-hearted and turning back to Jesus and for you to repent of your sin. We want to see you gained. But as it is right now, we need to treat you as a Gentile and a tax collector with a heart of sadness, but also with love and a desire to see you restored. They are bound on earth, but also bound in heaven with their living in unrepentant sin. They're wandering away from the Lord and There's a real description here of we are the body of Christ and that though the the church can get it wrong here and has throughout even church history, it's a very sobering reality that when the church is saying there's somebody living in unrepentant sin collectively and they have the heart of God, that is meant to really help that person come to a sobering reality that, you know what, I'm actually living in unrepentant sin. And if I continue on living in unrepentant sin, I shouldn't have assurance that I'm a Christian. It's a very serious thing that bound in heaven. But then also, it's not just about whatever you bind. It's also whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this is where my third and final point of rejoicing comes in. The loosing is when someone returns when someone comes back to Jesus the church throws a celebration the church parties the church gets so excited about that individual coming back and when they the church together determines this person was was lost and wandering and now their their heart used to be hard now it's soft and they're coming back to Jesus and we rejoice to see them turning back to Jesus the church's collective testimony of God has forgiven them. They've come back. They've repented. They've believed in Christ. And 
that testimony collectively, not, again, not of one or two people, but the whole church of saying they've been restored, they've been repentant, is one of loosing that individual to realize that no longer are they going to be treated as a pagan or a tax collector. They're to be treated once again as a brother or a sister in the Lord who's been restored. And that loosing is a real testimony from the church to help them to know and to be assured that Christ has indeed rescued them. And that they should have the joy and peace that comes from the grace of God and His forgiveness. So it's an important point to note. And, and this re- rejoicing, this binding and this loosing is something that's very, you gotta walk that out with fear and trembling. Um, but, but here we see that, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. And for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I amongst them. It's a description of the body of Christ, that Christ is the head and, and we are united together with Christ. He is so close with his body that as we actually walk in this together with fear and trembling to see wanderers restored through church rescue together, Jesus is with us. And it's a protection. It's a safeguard. Friends, I don't want you to be fearful of this. Psalm 23, I love this phrase. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, we are meant to take comfort in the fact that even if we wander, we have a risen Savior who will come after us. He will climb over rocks and go over treacherous terrain to get his lamb and put his lamb back on his shoulders and take the lamb back to the fold. He is an awesome God. He is an amazing, amazing Savior who not only saves us by his shed blood on the cross, which we'll celebrate in communion in just a moment, but he also sustains us And when we wander, He rescues us. And He even uses His church as a means of His eyes and His hands and His feet to rescue the wandering sinner. I can tell you that the body of Christ has been such a blessing to my soul in helping me to stay on the path. And I rejoice because I've seen God restore and rescue the wanderer i got a story to close with in just a moment. But I think we also should rejoice in this, that we are loved in this way, that we are sustained in this way, and that we serve a Savior who seeks and saves the lost. Like Luke 19, talking about Zacchaeus, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Don't you love that expression of Jesus? He seeks and saves the lost. He goes after the wanderer. He does everything to gain us back. Even when we're hard-hearted, He persistently comes after us to soften our heart with the gentle rain of the Holy Spirit's conviction again and again to bring us back to our senses so that we'll follow in His footsteps. I was thinking about this image in Cabela's. Uh, there's a display in the center. It's a massive display. And there's a display of a bunch of Arctic wolves surrounding a pack of musk oxen. 
and the wolves are fierce. But there's these musk oxen with their little musk oxen around them. And if you've ever seen it, if you ever go there, pay attention to that because these large musk oxen gather and seek to protect and defend the little ones from being picked off by the Arctic foxes and Arctic wolves. I was so moved, and I'm always moved looking at that, because I think as the church, we need to get a little bit of that together to where we are looking out for one another. I am my brother's keeper. I am my sister's keeper. And and not in an invasive way that isn't becoming to the spirit of Christ, but just we're looking out for one another. We've got each other's back in the trenches of the spiritual warfare of the Christian life. And we're looking to do everything we can to see each other safe and guarded and protected. Let us embrace this call as a local church, brothers and sisters, to do all we can to see our brothers and sisters continue following Jesus throughout the course of their entire lives. And when anybody wanders, me or you or anybody, I am so thankful, I really mean this, to be a part of a local church that's involved with church rescue to where I would have the safety and comfort of the church loving me enough to come after me if I was wandering away, to be a safeguard and a blessing to me and my family so that I would continue to stay on the path a church family that would just let you go and wander off and not go after you to seek to see you restored. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's something wanting in that. And we need to really get back and capture the essence of this. I remember in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, our sister church, when I was there pastoring, we had a woman in the church who entered into uh, sexual immorality. She began to turn away from the Lord and she was living in unrepentant sin, and uh, eventually she needed to really be removed from church membership because she had hardened her heart. And just through a repeated appeals from many brothers and sisters who loved her, she did not turn away from it. And just so you know, sexual immorality is any sexual relations outside of the covenant of heterosexual marriage. She wandered, and we continued to go after her, and after a while, her, her, her boyfriend at the time was an unbeliever, so she was contemplating marrying an unbeliever, which 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. If you see somebody seeking to marry an unbeliever or starting to fall in love with an unbeliever, you want to love them enough to just care for them and reach out to them. But in this case, she was also living in sin and starting to wander away. So we went after her, and she eventually came back to the Lord after repeated appeals. There was a season where she wandered away and hardened her heart, but then she came back. And what joy and rejoicing took place in the church as she was restored into the fellowship of the church. She repented and talked about how Christ had rescued her and carried her on his shoulders and brought her back. And the church celebrated. The church was rejoicing with great joy in agreement with all the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents as we read about. And we celebrated that together. Her her boyfriend, who was an unbeliever, through the love of the church and the witness of the gospel that he saw and the grace and compassion, there was no self-righteousness, but just tender hands reached out. He ended up getting saved as he saw the love and mercy and grace in the local church, and he saw Christ manifested amongst the people of God in a real tangible way. 
he got saved, the two of them got married, and they had their child, and they have many children now. And when I go and visit the Cherry Hill Church and I visit there, typically him and her are there, and they are wearing a joy that is special and unique because the church, by God's grace, was faithful to be the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus. To seek to do everything they could. To see the wanderer restored. And she was restored. And the church celebrated. And so at this time we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. But may we be inspired. By the fact that we have a God who loves like this. And sustains like this. John. The good shepherd. The good shepherd has intimate knowledge of his sheep. And when one of his sheep wanders, he goes after him. And though we're sinful people, he is patient and will not give up on us. Even when our faith is lacking or we act faithless, he will preserve us. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus became the the intimate fulfillment of deliverance and the ultimate fulfillment of deliverance from sin and death when he died on the cross and shed his blood. And the crux of the gospel is the sacrificial death of Jesus. It was there where he permanently purchased His beloved sheep. Ushers, if you would please start distributing. Thank you, brother. So as we gather here today to partake in communion, we're reminded that we're more sinful than we can ever imagine and yet more loved than we could possibly dream. During communion, we remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We repent because he died for us and we rejoice in the forgiveness of sins that is offered in Christ alone. As Christians, he holds us fast. Even when we're facing life's storms, he'll never let us go. Even as we're tempted to wander, he'll never let us go. Even when we get our eyes off of him and begin to wander, he rescues us and takes us upon his shoulders and brings us back to the fold. That is his promise to his sheep. As we celebrate communion this morning, let us remember that on the night Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat. This is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant between God and you. 
and has been established and set into motion by my blood. He said, do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. May partake in the cup. Let's pray. Our Father, we acknowledge today your great love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for rescuing us, Lord. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you that because of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, we Christians have been pardoned. We have been adopted. We have been reconciled to you. May what Jesus did never become something ordinary to us. And may this time of partaking always be approached by us, the sheep of your pastor, with gratitude, with reverence, and with humility. It's in the name of Jesus, our deliverer, our savior, our pastor, and our shepherd, that we pray. Amen. We have a testimony of God's grace. Do we not, brothers and sisters? Not only did he die on the cross and rise again from the grave to save us from our sins, his broken body and shed blood on the cross atoned for it all, but even afterwards, how many times have we wandered and how many times has our Savior come after us? Aren't you so thankful that he is a searching and seeking Savior that just continues to hold on to us and never let go. And it is the testimony of the Word of God. Speaking of Jesus, I have lost none of those you have given me. He's got you. And it is the Father's will that not one of you, not one of His little ones, should perish. We are facing many dangers, toils, and snares. But aren't you so thankful that we have a God who never lets go? A God who loves with a steadfast and everlasting love. We are so blessed, people of God, to have a God who loves like this. Aren't you so glad to be included in this? Aren't you so glad for Jesus and his death on the cross for us? Thank you so much, Lord. Let us go forth rejoicing, brothers and sisters, because our God has indeed been good to us. Have a great rest of your day.